Welcome back to another episode of the Higher Love with Megan podcast, talking all things mind, body, soul, healing and expansion with me, your host, Megan Cooper. If you're returning to this space, please do take a moment to rate the show or you can head to Apple Podcasts to leave a review, all of which enables more people to find me and for me to connect with more great guests each week for both yours and my enjoyment. If you're new here, welcome and it's great to connect, celebrating you for dedicating your time to self-discovery and reconnection. Our time is our greatest commodity and gift, so thanks for investing it in yourself and sharing it with me. Up on the podcast this week, we have one of my big girl crushes, Charlotte Holmes. I've been following Charlotte on Instagram for years, and I thought it was about bloody time to get her on the podcast. The great vibes I get from her grew even more when she turned up to our call in a Spice Girls t-shirt and we could compare notes on dressing up as Sporty Spice back in the day. Alongside this, Charlotte has significant knowledge and expertise to share on the topic of mindful movement, which is the focus for today's episode. Charlotte's worked in the health and fitness industry for 10 years as a movement coach, fitness model and brand ambassador, alongside her career in modelling and pageantry. She won the Miss England title in 2012 and was placed fourth in Britain's Next Top Model in 2010. Around this time in her early 20s, she also qualified as a PT and group fitness instructor and her love of the physical elements of yoga, paired with the desire to delve deeper, took her to India where she began her yoga teacher training. Since then, she's worked across some of the top London fitness boutiques internationally on fitness retreats, as a founding instructor on the Fit app, as a PT on MTV's Beachbody SOS, and as head of yoga for Virgin Active UK. In this conversation, I discuss with Charlotte the essence of mindful movement and how this travels outside the mat into what she describes as mindful living, mindful being. We cover the beauty of being in the body, being in the moment amidst our busy lives and go, go, go culture, reframing our intentionality behind movement, being able to enjoy slowing down and finding the extraordinary in the ordinary. There were so many takeaways for me listening back to this episode, but what it really reminded me of was the beginning of my own journey of self-discovery, which began through yoga. We all want more presence, more joy, more peace, more connection, whatever that uniquely feels and looks like to you. And yoga and mindful movement really put me on the path to receiving that into my life. And I use the word receiving intentionally because what mindful movement teaches us, as this conversation with Charlotte will outline, is that it's not about getting anywhere. It's about being with the practice week after week, month after month, year after year, and letting the qualities behind the practice reveal themselves and integrate into our lives beyond having to do more. So with no further ado, let's dive in. All right, lovely. Well, I'm very excited to record with you today. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, even in our brain froggy state. Exactly. We'll co-create something beautiful. Mm. Okay, so just before we get started, I wanted to just say one of the things that I enjoy most about your account is that I look and think that is a girl who knows how to have fun, (laughs) which I can't necessarily say (laughs) about every single account that I follow. So would you say that that is fair to say? (laughs) What's the role of fun and joy in your life? Oh, that's why I'm here. No, isn't that why we're here? To have fun? That's great to hear, actually. I really feel like my Instagram account, I've really felt the need to keep it as raw and genuine as possible um, in terms of a full breadth of everything that I do in my life. So if it comes across as fun, then that's good. I'm doing something right, I guess. We have fun. We do. I mean, we're super privileged I guess to be in a position where we can have fun and then choose to have fun and it's not always fun right life's not always fun life's shit sometimes and there's been shit times which I've also put on um you know spoken about but we pick the fun times when they come and um I think that's probably a fair yeah fair assumption we do have fun so I'm glad I'm glad that's how it came across (laughs) (laughs) no I always really vibe with people who have a great message to share with the world mm. but also do it with a lot of laughter a lot of fun a lot of good vibes so how would you define mindful movement you define yourself as a mindful movement specialist so let's just start off there 
it's been a journey to get to that uh, title. And I've put it there in the bio um, because that is my that is my job. It's what I view myself as. People ask what I do. Um, first and foremost, I, I, I'm a, a mindful movement coach. I, I enjoy sharing mindful movement with the world. I enjoy sharing it with people that perhaps think that they can't do it, don't like it, don't need it, can't get on with it. Yeah, it's it's a bit, but it's been a been a real journey to get there. I started as a PT in my early twenties. I did yoga to offset the hit, and then kind of when I did my first yoga teacher training, it was still a very like early stage exploratory in a in a sort of journey, personal journey. It was like I'm doing this for me because I love yoga and I think it's fun, but I didn't really appreciate. Um, the trajectory it would send my um, teaching career on and then obviously did my yoga training and then I went very kind of heavy into yoga specific stuff and I do I still teach yoga yoga is what I teach it's what I share the reason I call it mindful movement is because sometimes it's packaged a little differently and I don't want to offend yoga as a tradition and and as as a real you know special practice so I guess that's why. But it, I do teach yoga and everything that it and lots of the things that it encompasses. I also find that people are scared by the word yoga, which is a horrible thing to, to even think that people don't. They get frightened by it. But I think people are. Lots of people are like, oh, I, I, they just kind of have tried it once. They've tried the asana version of it once and didn't get on with it. And therefore, they don't like yoga. So if I put yoga teacher, that tends to put people off and actually you know there's so many bases to yoga as a practice to just say that you don't like it because you didn't get along with the teacher because their voice wasn't very nice in the first class that you ever did and the only class you ever did and it'd be a real shame for you to not venture in from another angle or from a mindful movement aspect which essentially is what asana is the yoga asana of yoga is mindful movement it's moving in a way that that brings you into your body and gets you thinking do teach other things still um very occasionally teach some more strength-based stuff um and i think with my with my one-on-one clients it's very much a case of it's very much a case of what do you what do you want what do you need why are you here what's your intention for being here what do you want to what do you want to achieve is it strength you want to build is it just becoming more mindful um you know is it meditation you want to implement and everyone's so different that to just teach them yoga asana would be a disservice to the people that I'm coming into contact with because everyone needs so many different things I can really resonate with that in that so yoga teaching was how I got into the path of holistic health I did my yoga teacher Mm. training in my mid-20s and I used to teach yoga and meditation in London and Mm. I can resonate with what you're saying in terms of so many people said to me oh, I can't do yoga, I'm not flexible enough, or I can't mm. meditate because my mind's too busy. Do you get, do you come across a lot of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, I mean, that is the, that is the line, isn't it? They're the lines. I don't have time to meditate. So I tell people they need they need to meditate for longer. If <laughs> they haven't got time, they need longer to meditate. And yeah, the not flexible thing, and, it, and it's a shame because it's just this, it, it's just a misunderstanding. It's been lost in translation somewhere along the way. Um, and getting bogged down with whose fault that is I don't think is helpful either at the end of the day it's just about re-educating um, re-educating people and, and, and allowing them giving them the space to understand that actually got sweet at all to do with touching your toes like it doesn't really matter like you know you could never ever touch your toes ever again and still practice yoga every single day so I think um, for me it's really yeah getting getting that getting that message across because as you said it's I'd be rich, financially rich, if I had a pound for every time someone said I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes or I'm not flexible enough. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it just shows it's a real, it's a, just a common, common misunderstanding, which we need to, we must, we must try and undo. Um, I think we're just heading towards a space where the world needs we're still going moving to a space where the world needs more yoga it needs more mindfulness it needs more people to be a slightly more introspective and in tune with who they are what they're doing ask themselves the right questions because we're uh 
heading to a scary place otherwise. And I think we are on the we are on the we're on the shift. I think we are on the shift. Um, I, I'm hopeful that we're on the shift towards changing that. Um, yeah, that's that's the main focus. Yeah, yeah. holding mm. and waving the flag for the evolution of the human mm. race. <laughs> Big old. <laughs> yeah yeah what would you say are the qualities of mindful movement is it practice of like feeling into your body being with like being able to observe your mind like what would you say are the qualities of mindful movement or what you intend to teach people through mindful movement Mm. so I think first and foremost with most people just the idea of being with themselves is a bit overwhelming so it might seem like the most obvious thing would be to sit in meditation and sort of start to like get to know yourself. But actually stillness for a lot of people is very confronting. And the reason that movement is such a beautiful way of of kind of, it's almost like the gateway drug into the meditation is the movement. It's like get them feeling in a way that actually ends up feeling good. Because moving your body feels good, right? It It just does. If you're in a position where you can move your body, moving your body feels good physiologically because that's just how the science works and the hormones that are released off the back of that will make you feel good in your mental within your mental health without getting into too much science of it that is the way that it works therefore if you can encourage if I can encourage people to move their body and to start to tune in to how it makes them feel when they're moving and then get them to think about how they feel after they've moved and then they start to really understand that relationship my work's kind of done (laughs) because then it feels good for them and so then they've kind of taken the drug and they're like ah I want more of that I want more of I want more of that and I want more of that understanding and I want to keep doing that on a regular basis and then obviously it develops from there and I think eventually you know the sitting and stillness and feeling becomes a thing but it's something that doesn't need to be necessarily pushed or taught or encouraged because I think the natural trajectory for most, for most people, for many people, is that once mm. you feel good in your body, move the movement feels good. Actually, the stillness also ends up feeling feeling good. Good, perhaps, is the wrong word. Just feeling. It's just feeling. There's no, you know, I, I don't like to attach a good or a bad to a, a how it is, but the the the, the relationship you have with observing those feelings becomes a positive one and that's what I'm trying to encourage Mm. yeah I love that it reminds me of something that one of my teachers used to say that actually if you've got a lake which has got you know a bit of ripple rippling waves across it it will Mm. eventually come to stillness on its own and what Mm. I'm hearing from you there is that if stillness feels challenging for you Mm. then movement is a natural Mm. course of action to take in order to kind of still Mm. the waves a little bit and then Mm. stillness begins to reveal itself a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. You just said it in a much more eloquent way, I think. (laughs) It was all you. (laughs) And as well, it's the the overwhelm. I think there's Mm. a big overwhelm, especially when it comes to... Ultimately, the the yoga asana is to get us to a point of sitting in meditation is the, is the the end goal loosely but that's that seems so far away especially when yoga from a movement perspective seems so far away for most people so how do you kind of bridge the gap between where you are getting you moving in a mindful way and then sitting in meditation even if it's just for 30 seconds you know so it's bridging those gaps yeah Mm. yeah absolutely and you're right I mean a yoga practice in itself meditation is always the last bit because the whole practice is to move energy through your body and actually it's quite challenging to just sit when we've got you know heightened nervous system Mm. stress hormones so movement is really that practice of yeah moving things through our body in order to come to a more restful relaxed state so can you speak to your background and what brought you into mindful movement ah I think I kind of touched on it in the I've I've moved I've always moved <laughs> I've moved not just the you know I've, I've always done exercise I've always done fitness I've always enjoyed extracurricular activities at school for goodness sake like I did all the clubs mum poor my poor mother 
Like, you know, if it was on, I was there. All the different dances, tap dancing, ballet, contemporary, jazz. I used to go surfing club. I used to go to sailing club. I used to go to girl guides, brownies, and all the things of that in Compass. I used to do 10 tours, Duke of Edinburgh, all the hiking and the walking that was involved in that. I used to do athletics at school. So any of the clubs that were there, I was there. I, didn't, I guess in, in hindsight, it was because it was movement. Movement was what, what I loved. It was the moving and the doing that made me feel so good. And it's no surprise that I've ended up doing this for a job. Um, but I think once I moved to London and, you know, the I, I moved to London to, to model and wanted to keep a little bit of my old self this is me at 18 talking as well. So I didn't really know what I wanted. But I think I was clinging on to a little bit of what I used to do and who I had been. So I continued to dance a little bit and I continued to do bits and bobs from a movement perspective. And yoga came in then um, because dance classes got too expensive. So I mean, like, you know, dancing from a stretchy, lengthy perspective physiologically got very expensive. We've been to pineapple dance studios, but it was really expensive for an 18-year-old to tell you. So it was like that became not an option. So yoga became a more affordable option. Um, and my ego self at 18 wasn't very good at yoga because she'd never done it before. So I was like, I want to be really good at this. And I want to be able to do a handstand and hold the splits. And actually, and it felt good against the running and the hit training and the Barry's boot camp and the other stuff that I used to do, right? So that was kind of my early 20s. And then once I qualified as a PT, and really started to digest the the science um, physiologically around what the body needs and doesn't need and what it responds to and what it needs in terms of a rest um, versus uh, do output. I was like, okay, this is actually a really good tool. Like, this is good. So for clients that are doing this, I can give them a few yogic stretches to help balance them out. And that was something I was practicing as well myself. It was something that I was doing um, to make sure that my body didn't break, essentially. And then after the first, as you know, after the first 200 hours of teacher training, it's such a transformative experience that I think because I was teaching before in some capacity, coming off the back of that training, I was like, I have, I must teach this. I want other people to feel this. I want to share how this feels. Um, and so teaching yoga off the back of the training was a a little bit of a no-brainer and it wasn't my intention in the training as I said it wasn't why I was going there I went from a very kind of selfish perspective and I wanted to just immerse myself in a, in a whole month of doing nothing but yoga probably to get good at handstanding or something silly like it wasn't anything to do with wanting to share the practice and by the end all I wanted to do I was like I want people to feel this and you learn so much about the philosophy of yoga and you learn so much about meditation and breath work which you just don't really touch on in a western yoga asana class you do but if you're you you know there's not enough time it's not really enough time so I was like I want to share this this is what I want to share um and I was excited by it and then I think that excitement's just never really left me it's kind of still, still mm -hmm. there just sprinkled in differently um and then the, so that was yeah 20 that was over 10 years ago so that was my first training and then multiple trainings between then and now and it's like I say yeah gone on a bit of a journey in terms of what I've been outputting but um it's all yoga yeah. I guess <laughs> yeah yeah what do you feel that mindful movement yoga brought you alongside your modeling career because when we spoke previously you know you said that actually during your 20s and your modeling career and I know that you're still modeling you were really happy because I think you know a lot of people wonder whether models are you know really happy in their bodies there's obviously like a lot of body image mm. stuff out there um but you said mm. that you know you really enjoyed that time but how did yoga and movement work marinade alongside your your modeling what did it give you I think again hindsight's a beautiful thing I imagine that the the reason that I handled my 20s in the way that I did and that my and the reason that my mental health was so was it within such a healthy state and the reason that my relationship with my body was where it was probably was a lot to do with the movement that I was doing and the practices that I had I didn't realize that at the time I'm sure I didn't I wasn't aware of that 
Um, but you know, I never, I never suffered with body image issues. I've never suffered with an eating disorder. I've never knowingly or unknowingly kind of berated myself for the way I looked. If I left a casting, I didn't get it because I was, wasn't right. It kind of rolled off. And I really now in my later life understand that that was a like, thank goodness that's how it was. Mm. Um, because it's not like that for a lot of girls. And I'm sure that even though I handled it the way I did and it, and it, and it worked well and I've had, a, and I've had a lovely time. I'm sure that actually the yoga was still coming in at a point where it was, it was sort of driving me away from external and in more internal just because that's what the universe was trying to do right that's what that's what I was supposed to be doing so um but I didn't realize any of those things in my 20s it was just very much of I'm just doing the things and and um and I've and I felt good but yeah I had lots of friends that didn't feel good lots of friends that I mean you know went to I went to Miss World for goodness sake at 24 like 24 years old and I went to all the way to China by myself to spend six weeks with 119 other women girls not women you're still young you're so young and and everything everything you're doing there seemingly is based on how you look now it's not actually having experienced that pageant and the whole work it's not and they really try and strive to ensure that you're you are thinking about all the other elements that you're supposed to be like you know the different rounds that you do in the interview round and the and the charity round and the this and the that. And they're trying to, they're trying to, they do encompass all of those things. But from, you know, Joe Boggs walked down the street and he said, you were Miss England, their understanding of what that pageant is, is it's how you look. Mm. So that definitely weighs onto your shoulders um, because it has to, because that's how most of the world views those pageants and those situations. And there is still limitus on it when you're there. Like, you know, you're in, you, then we were encouraged to dress a certain way, look a certain way, make sure that, you know, and, and, and so the fitting into that mold had to, has had, had to have had and has had an impact on me, my choices, what I've done, you know, moving forwards. Um, but at the time, it didn't have a negative or of my from my understanding there was no negative um from it I I really enjoyed myself it was great I had a lovely lovely time and I made some wonderful wonderful girlfriends and I look back on it all with really fond memories but it definitely definitely has affected my relationship with myself because it has to you can't go through those things and it not wild wild when I look back on it (laughs) what other I mean this is just out of personal interest when you're competing in something like Miss Miss World what other things do they look at besides just the external I don't know what the criteria are it's just personal interest yeah not because I'm about to enter by the way (laughs) (laughs) there's different you're a bit a bit old now love (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, well, well so when I competed the, I was the eldest you couldn't compete after 24 um so it's 18 to 24 so then some of these girls are young you know some of these girls are really young um I felt old and I was 24 for goodness sake what um different rounds so there's the at Miss World it's slightly different to the national so at Miss England versus Miss World obviously it's a much bigger competition so at Miss World a lot of the rounds you do before you go out to the six-week competition because the six-week competition is essentially a, a bit of a tour of the country that you're in and you all go to different events and stuff together and it's you know versus Miss England where in the lead-up to the competition you're preparing for the final competition and then the competition is run over a few days and there's different rounds within those days so you've got the charity round. Is a, there's a there's a big waiting to the charity round, um, which at the international level, the charity is the Miss World charity, which is called Beauty the Purpose, and they um, support various different projects throughout the year. Um, I couldn't tell you what they're supporting this year. I couldn't even tell you what they're supporting last year or the year before. I haven't really kept up with it, but it's a whole host of different international projects across various different countries so it's it's vast 
hence it's the Miss World charity, right? They do all sorts. But alongside supporting that charity, when you go to the international one, you also support a local or a national charity. So I was supporting the Variety Club in the UK alongside Beauty with a Purpose. So my fundraising for the year, I think England went to both of those charities. And you do a project on that and you have to present that project to a panel and talk about what you're doing and how you do that given points which go towards your final score and that's the same for every single category so you've got the charity round you've got the sports sports round fitnessy sort of round um you do one with national costumes uh there's a round where you have to support a local or national designer and then you wear the design of that national suit so as an interview round a solo interview round there's a group interview round there's various bits and then when you get on stage they then they judge you based on your stage presence, your confidence on stage, how you walk. So all of those bits get ticked off as well. So plenty. I've never judged a competition myself because when you hand over your title, they allow you that, oh, you can judge. I was like, absolutely not. It's no way I want to sit and judge these girls that have competed. Some of them have competed against me the year before. I was like, I'm not going to judge you. Like, no way. So I ended up hosting that year. But the judging, I don't know how to do it. Honestly, it blows my mind. I'm like, how can you look at all these people, these amazing women? They've got so much to offer and they're all so different and they've got such different backgrounds. Like to choose, to narrow it down is quite something, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, a really, really cool experience. I've yeah, got very, mm. very fond memories of it. Other than the toilets in China in a ball gown were interesting. Because you've obviously got these dresses and you've got to try and get, and they're hoisting them up and the toilets are quite interesting. But other than the toilets, I had a great fun memory. <laughs> oh, definitely prepared for you for all the festivals that you still go to. There you go. <laughs> now I'm really good at the long drop at Glastonbury. I'm like, oh, I'm not a problem. Excellent, excellent life skills. <laughs> um, in a In a previous conversation, you shared with me that out of your closest friends from modeling all of you have gone into movement of some sort what do you feel is the correlation there between your modeling career and then going into mindful movement for you all hmm. it's interesting isn't it so the four yeah the four I was speaking about other than myself so you've got Elise Nina and Tara and they all two of us won the, the Miss World competition not overall but we're in the Miss World competition and two of us were in the Miss Universe competition so the two biggest like international pageants that exist and yeah all gone into yoga of some description it kind of like the writing's on the wall with it like it just of course <laughs> of course we have and I don't know if it's different modeling versus pageantry I don't know if there's a bit more of a kind of thought-provoking broader community sense of what you're doing that maybe brings you back to wanting to share something in that way that's different versus just versus modeling but wild that we've all done the same similar things Mm. and really beautiful and I do actually think that I know a lot of there's another couple of girls that Amy Willerton as well she competed Miss England my year she came second to me and she's just recently I've been watching her journey unfold on Instagram and she's discovered yoga <laughs> like and it's just beautiful to watch it's like yes have this real sense of like yes another one like great amazing because that's what we want right we want everyone to suddenly drop into this, this state of self mm. it doesn't matter what your background is it doesn't matter if you the pageants the modeling is irrelevant but those things draw you away from the self and I think that's the key thing to remember is that all of these jobs they do draw you away from who who you are maybe not even purposefully I'm not even I'm not trying to it just is what it is they're casting for a job and they're looking for a person of this height and this size and this hair and eye color it's not you know don't have to get emotional about it it is what it is and if you're not that you won't get the job fine but there's still an element of you standing in front of a panel of people and then saying you're not right that's Mm going to have effect on you and that's drawing you away from the self so to come back into the self is is the way forward. So yeah, every time another one goes, I'm like, yes, another missing them that's doing yoga. Yes. <laughs> mm. The thing that kind of just came to mind for me while you're talking is this like 
transitioning from the beauty of the body to mm. the beauty of being in the body does that yes. does that feel yeah. right 100% and I think that's that you've literally there's a, there's a book there or something isn't there you've just nailed it like that's that is it and then and then the and then the understanding that the body is just the vessel like it's beautiful it doesn't matter the, the how it looks is highly irrelevant to the output of the, the person within it and understanding the relationship to being in your body and then that becomes a beautiful thing once you understand the relationship and you you identify not with the body but with the self within it then you're like okay this is a nice thing this is this is a relationship that I want to have and and that's beautiful because actually the, the shell is all how it looks doesn't matter mm. and then people are like oh well you look like that so of course you're bound to say that it's not about that it's 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 the understanding that how you look has no bearing on who you are I think that's the, the key thing. Mm. I'm I'm aware. I modelled my whole life. I'm aware that I'm five foot nine and look a certain way that society has told everyone is a nice way to look. I'm not stupid. I'm aware of it. But what I'm saying is it's not important. It's not, it, I don't hold it to any value. And I think that's why for me, like, I still do do bits of modelling. I'm very choosy with the brands I work with because I'm, I'm able to be now. Because I think actually I don't want to be. I'm quite. I'm quite. I'm quite over. I want to be doing things where I'm encouraging people to yeah to to jump into themselves um, mm. and understand those relationships more. So mm. Mm. yeah. Do you feel that that practice of mindfully being in your body was really what enabled you to be quite you know happy and grounded and open minded during your modelling mm. career where you are being judged on you know certain levels but actually having that kind of foundation of feeling good and confident in your own skin because mm. I mean just be just feeling back into like the beginning of my early experiences with yoga I mean first off I only went to yoga because I had a really bad sports injury and my perception was like yoga's mm. for weirdos why would I do anything like that <laughs> um but really needed to heal my body couldn't I mean I was so rigid I could barely get my hands to my knees let alone you know to mm. let alone to mm. the ground um and I started doing Bikram yoga and I did mm. it religiously dogmatically for years um <laughs> got really into it but the thing that started to really come through for me was that I began to feel a lot more confident you know a lot more like powerful mm. within myself even just from being able to hold postures for longer than I could a few weeks ago or a few mm. months ago. Mm. And I didn't really notice necessarily that it was happening. I think I started to notice it as well when I became more patient, I think, on the like on the underground. I was getting less irritated with being like crammed into the train. <laughs> I was being nicer to people, like, you know, just even buying like a sandwich from Tesco's next door to the Bikram studio. I would stop and I like, ask the cashier how their day was going. You know, like stuff like that was starting to like actually permeate into yeah. the way that I saw my body, the way that I saw myself, the way that I interacted. You know, would you say mm. that on a subtle level, the like the yoga and I think, you know, you've kind of drawn attention to this, but like the yoga was permeating your mm. outlook whilst doing, you know, pageantry modeling? Absolutely. Unaware of it at the time. Like I didn't I didn't know that that's what it was, but yeah like looking back for sure and I mean that's why that's why yoga that is why this is literally this is why we do this mm. is to ensure that that what you're practicing on the mat is kind of permeating through to the rest of your day-to-day -day. it's got very little to do with being able to touch your toes that's a byproduct yeah I can touch my toes I can bend all the way down to the floor and pick something up without bending my knees hurrah but actually that's kind of irrelevant. It's the the lack of stress when you're on a crowded tube with armpits in your face. It's like the understanding that nothing is permanent and like everything is kind of in motion and it's all it's all just going about and you can you can get really stuck. I think especially living in London, it's it's the only reason I'm still here. I think. <laughs> it's the only reason I'm still managing here. It's given me this real understanding that it's like life 
can be beautiful wherever you are, mm. however you are, whoever you are. It can it can be. It's a, it's a choice that you're making in your head. Mm. God, I, I hear you on the tubes, though. They're a, they're a real they're a real test they're a real yeah. they're a real test of the um of, of the old yogic patience situation mm. test of character <laughs> definitely like you think mm. you're spiritual go and get on the london underground <laughs> in summer on the northern line from clapham specifically Ooh. yeah there you go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I spirit- Hackney. it's all good the, the spiritual experience <laughs> Well, it was it was obviously working for you because I actually remember seeing you in Britain's Next Top Model. And what was the year you uh, did that? Oh, 1982. No, um, <laughs> 2010? 2010. 2010. Bloody hell. Long time ago. We are getting on. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm staying away. You can't see the wrinkle. <laughs> but I'll, I'll put a filter on. Um, Thanks, mate. <laughs> But I remember seeing you in that and thinking, she actually looks like a really like down to earth person that I could get along well with. So obviously the yoga was obviously the yoga was permeating well. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been. I think I think at that age as well, like I was 21, 22. Wow. Yeah. Nurture. Like I've got a lot to my parents are wonderful human beings and they did a really fucking good job, to be honest. And I don't want kids because it scares the shit out of me. The idea of having to raise another human and 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 try to mould them without moulding them because you don't want to mould them because you want them to be themselves. Whoa! So they did a really, really good job. Um, and I know that looking at my sister, like, she's just the most phenomenal human being. I look at her and I'm like, how are you real? Like, how do you, how do you, what? How does this happen? And I understand a lot of that is her. But my parents, you know, when you're a kid, your parents have big influence. So, yeah, that that helped a lot, I think, especially from a confidence thing, like having a mum that always was confident within herself mm. and therefore allowed me to be confident. That was a huge learning. I see that in later life. I see mums that aren't confident in themselves with children, and that scares me. You have to be confident within yourself because otherwise that's what you're teaching. You're you're literally passing that, subconsciously passing that on. And I think my mum really allowed that, held that platform high for me. She's a confident woman, beautiful, but she just really allowed that to shine and and that allowed that for my sister and I as well. So Mm. I think she's got a lot to answer for. (laughs) Mm. Shout out Bonnie Holmes. Yeah. celebrating you (laughs) ah so just a question now of what pet peeves do you have about the movement industry are there any pet peeves that come to mind the things that you might see or the things that everyone might see on social media or anything about the industry that just really gets you I think the main thing for me is still the the impetus that gets put on the way that you look and the industry thrives off of it and maybe it's not the movement industry but the fitness industry and I think movement and yoga falls under that category in the west it just does um it shouldn't it should be separate I encourage all my clients to think of it as two separate things it's a, it's movement for your mind not for your how your body looks that's what gets me the most is that is coaches still encouraging and coaches of our age of my generation that know better and if you don't know better do some reading you should know better you haven't got any excuses why are you still encouraging people to worry about how they look to worry about the weight of them now caveat to this i understand that people have issues with weight and sometimes you need that to be a focus because it's an unhealthy way to live and you've got the doctor telling you that you must lose weight that i understand that's not specifically what I'm talking about here. I'm talking the general understanding in society that is, do you want to lose weight? As soon as you say that, someone thinks it's a good thing and they jump on board, whatever it is that coach is selling. Mm. That's not good. That's That shouldn't be <laughs> why you're encouraging people to move. Mm. 
and we need a whole other podcast on this because I can really <laughs> go in. But ultimately, like, it's just not conducive to anything healthy. Mm. It's just not. Um, mm. It breeds an unhealthy relationship with the self. And we're already in an unhealthy, most of us are already in an unhealthy relationship with the self. And I think that needs to that needs to shift. But the problem is it's an easy it's an easy sell. People make money from it. Yeah. Coaches make money quick and big money. I know people that made loads of money in lockdown because they were selling weight loss programs. And I don't I think it's I think it's I think you should be ashamed of yourselves. I think it's shocking, to be honest. Mm. That's my biggest pet peeve. I think it's a real a real miss. If every single coach changed that that outlook and perspective and encourage their clients to come at it from the other way around how does it make you feel mate the world we the world would be a different place like Mm. it really would Mm. yeah I mean I I do think that we could have a whole new podcast on this because I have a lot of pet peeves about the way that yoga is taught (laughs) for example by a Mm. lot of people my um my partner used to own uh, a couple of crossfit style gyms be a strength and conditioning coach he's got a lot of pet peeves about the fitness industry (laughs) but the reason I asked you this video I was literally just on your Instagram doing a little bit more additional stalking before before we popped on I was watching a video of (laughs) you with some girlfriends making like a mezcal cocktail I think Uh, you were like pet peeves of the fitness industry and like it really yeah and just you know the thigh thigh gap create the thigh gap culture um and you know I suppose things for me is like creating like you know summer like beach body ready things like that and I know for me that in my 20 in my 20s I would be kind of generally not particularly healthy and then suddenly be like oh my god I'm going on holiday in eight weeks I'll you know now blitz it and it's not really the way to enhance the relationship that we have with our body no exactly that exactly that and it all just comes back to this like societal pressure it's a the beauty industry and the all these industries trying to sell sell the dream it doesn't it's not a thing it's a lie it's all a lie and don't get me wrong I often look in the mirror and I go I could just have a little bit of Botox and then I'm like whoa hold up you're all right you're okay expression is good and I'm not saying that you shouldn't get Botox if that's what you want to do hon that is absolutely cool but just make sure you understand why make sure Mm. it's all for the right reasons because ultimately you the power has to come back into your hands it shouldn't be because you feel that you should do something to fit into something else yeah so yeah it's and and I think we respond we should be responsible we're coaching people we're taking people in a vulnerable place and and they're listening everything you say every word that comes out your mouth they're listening they're really listening to what you're saying they're absorbing that and we have a responsibility as coaches as teachers to to be outputting the right message the higher vibrational message the message that is gonna help heal not just the person that's in front of you but that person's family the people that they speak to and not to make you more money, but to make sure that everyone has a healthy relationship with that person, with themselves. And it's just, I think we take for granted, like the the job that we do sometimes with coaches that are oh, just in PT, I'm just a PT. It's like, that's a huge responsibility. Someone's coming to you in a really, really fragile state and saying, help me, please. You can do really good things. Don't underestimate the power that you have in that moment. PT, yoga coaches, whatever you whatever you're doing, you're with somebody and they're asking you for help and they're listening. Just just think about what you're saying. Mm. Don't sell them the dream. Mm. Give them wholesome solid tools that they can take forward with them because that's what's gonna stay with them. And that's what they're gonna pass on. Kind of like the confidence thing with mum to me, like those things, those solid tools that you provide people with it kind of all ripples over right you fill up the cup with enough love it will start to bubble over the top and then that'll pass on to the next person that they spend time with so give them the right things say the right things to them and encourage them to think about themselves in in a better way it has to be the right thing to do 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I remember someone saying something to me after a few years of me teaching yoga and meditation, talking about the karma that you have as a teacher when you are teaching somebody in, you know, the right yogic way let's say you know talking you're doing all the things that you've been saying you know feeling into your body working on your relationship to self when you are embodying Mm. that within yourself and you create that within somebody else that's good karma but if you Mm. create the opposite take somebody in the wrong direction then Mm. their diversion onto a course that is harmful for them is Mm. your is your karma and I was like oh shit Mm. that is a big responsibility (laughs) I hear you No, but I really hear you with the responsibility piece on, you know, teaching, coaching, PTing, you know, it's a, you have an incredible ability to really Mm. transform somebody's life in a really positive way. And, you know, I really did embody that as like a, you know, a privilege Mm. and something else was just coming to mind, a conversation that I had yesterday morning, actually just sat on the sofa having Sunday morning coffee with my partner. And I was like, it's really interesting just an observation that I'm having of society right now, that we really want everybody to be happy and healthy and not stressed, but yet society is really not that well set up for this, as in Mm. they're constantly bombarded with messaging that you're not enough, our routines and our like hustle culture, Mm. the food that we eat, you know, everything that we have is very, very not set up for people to be happy and healthy within themselves. Mm. And actually in order to create that for yourself you actually have to make some quite like against the tide radical decisions for yourself yeah but what feel radical at least yeah 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 yeah. and actually if you take a big leap back not that radical at all some of them right but because you get so swept up into this like bubble of life and stuff coming at you it's like the idea to do whatever it is yeah suddenly you're like oh my god that's a big step like not drink, for example. I'm going to take that as an example because at the minute I do drink alcohol. I'm not drinking alcohol at the minute because I'm donating my eggs and I'm going to Glastonbury this week and I won't be drinking alcohol at Glastonbury. Now, I'm not fussed. That's fine for me. I'm cool with it. But I'm so interested to see and experience the interactions with certain people I know that are going and just how they how they will receive that information and what they will have to say to me or about that. Now, if I say I'm not drinking, that will have a reaction. If I say I'm not drinking because I'm donating my eggs, we'll have a different reaction. And that mm. shouldn't be the case. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. <laughs> I'm not drinking should be met with nothing other than, cool, what do you want to drink then? What, what yeah. soft drinks do you want? But it won't be met like that. But if I say it's because I'm donating my eggs, they'll go, oh my God, you're doing an amazing thing. Okay, cool. What do you want as a soft drink? But that shouldn't be the case. I should just be allowed to do whatever it is that I'm doing. Making a radical choice to not drink alcohol isn't that radical. It's just a choice. And should we not be making these choices from a place like a conscious, it should not be a conscious decision. It should be a conscious choice. In that moment, at that bar, specifically there and then, do I want a drink? If the answer is yes, cool. If the answer is no, cool. It shouldn't be, I'm drinking at Glastonbury. Whee! I have no idea. I'm just going to get to Glastonbury and see. Should be what happens. No, it should just be a much more in the moment. How do I feel right now thing? And again, that's why this mindful movement, this mindful living, mindful mm. being, like in- encouraging people to just be there and then and do whatever it is that they feel they should do and that should be encouraged and celebrated Mm. in that moment and you should be surrounding yourself with people that encourage and celebrate those things because if you're being judged they're not the people you Mm. want to be around I would suggest definitely I mean I can speak to that Mm. for ages because I stopped drinking for two years I do now drink but it was really mm. interesting the reactions mm. to that. I mean, that's a whole podcast again in itself. We could go off on a, on on that. <laughs> it really is definitely the thing you just said about mindful being, mindful living. I love that. Mm. How would you say that mindful movement has carried off your mat into your world? Ooh, and I know that it probably affects everything. So I know that that's a big question, but. I think, yeah, I think it does affect everything. And I think actually it's the t- it's the small things that you probably notice more often. 
like queuing to get on the bus. I was thinking the other day I was queuing to waiting to get on the bus on the other side of the road. And I think naturally it's like, oh well, I was in front of that person in the queue and oh and, and it's raining and therefore I want to get on the bus. Versus we're all getting on the bus. <laughs> the order in which we get on the bus is irrelevant and we're all going to the same place. So we'll just I'll just get on the bus at any moment and I'll let this person get on the bus in front of me because that's a nice thing to do we're all going in the same direction and I think that's kind of probably a bigger metaphor is it not as well like we're just all kind of we're all just putting <laughs> one foot in front of the other and I think if we could all do that a little bit more mindfully it would the world would be a better place listen I also get angry and upset and hormonal and tired and have shit days and feel like crap and grief sometimes hits me in the back of the head and I just want to scream like I that happens and those days are also okay <laughs> it's all okay and I think that's something the understanding that if someone does push in front of you in the bus queue they're having a shit day like don't don't worry about it like allow them that space someone swears at you going down the road because they get annoyed because your dog's in front of them the reaction to that shouldn't be my dog and it's my dog and it's let them have the space like they're having a shit day you know and I think that it translates through to that as well the understanding that everyone's kind of doing this <laughs> let's, let's, let's all do this together and and allow for each other to have a bit more space when the, when the days are mm, a bit crap mm-hmm. for somebody listening who is thinking well I do you know, a movement practice, I do, I exercise, I do yoga. What is the difference between moving mindfully and moving mindlessly, let's say, because I, <laughs> I know for me that I can definitely, you know, do a movement practice in a mindful way and do a practice in a less mindful way. Mm. So how does it feel to do mindful movement mm. is my question. I think um, in a nutshell, I would say, think about when you, well, firstly, can you think about the last time that you moved mindfully? And that's not just at you, Megan, that's like the person listening. Can you think of a time when you move mindfully? And the answer may well be no, you actually can't think of a time that you move mindfully. If that's the case, cool, then give it a go. <laughs> we'll come to that. If you can think of the last time that you moved mindfully, what was it that you were doing? Like, what was the activity? And nine times out of ten, the activity tends to be slower. Just what you're doing, slower. So some, for a lot of people, it's walking. You're out walking the dog. Or you're walking by yourself with no phone and no music. And you're listening to the birds. So it tends to be an activity that is slower by pace. And just by the nature of not being able to do ten things at once, in order for you to be thinking about how something feels, looks, tastes, sounds, the other thing's output has to be lesser. You can't be sprinting for the bus and thinking, how does this feel in my ankles? You'll just get into the bus, right? So I think in a nutshell, it's slowing down the pace of what you're doing in order to ensure that you can consider other things whilst it's happening. And what that practice does is it brings you into the present moment. So we can only do one thing. Our mind can do think of one thing at a time. So when I'm lifting my hand in the air and I'm taking a big inhale, that's just enough for me to also go, okay, how does this breath feel? And once you're thinking about how the breath feels, the arm's still lifting, but you're not thinking about the arm lifting. You're just thinking about how the breath feels and it's coming into the chest. That's present moment. That means you're not thinking about anything else. And that is where the magic happens. And it's the space in between those moments that starts to build and grow and and, and the the understanding of that relationship with that sensation is what is what's magic that bit there and it feels like almost out of reach you're like what I don't get it like how does that feel so good but I think it's about firstly it's slowing down and also you need someone to coach you into that a lot of the time because you're like I don't know I don't know what I'm listening for or thinking about or doing I don't know how to move my body I don't know and that's where 
someone like me hopefully can encourage you to do a thing and think about a thing and think about the feeling of a thing to bring you to an outcome whereby you go, ah, I get it. I get it. And it might not come the first time, it might not come the second time, but eventually with enough practice, it will, that feeling will come, the penny will drop. <laughs> mm. It's interesting that it, that this element of slowing down comes in because when we were talking about doing, you know, mm. being radical and moving against the stream and making these radical steps, mm. the thing that came to mind most for me was actually slowing down because slowing down in our big mm. busy stimulating hustle culture world is actually quite a radical thing mm. to do and you know I know that when I first started doing or moving in this type of way you're almost a bit like am I doing it wrong like it feels it feels a bit weird to slow down with your movement right is that something yeah. that that you experience with people absolutely well, because we're yeah. always doing it's a classic line isn't it you're a human being that's how you describe yourself but you're never you're rarely mm. being you're rarely rarely being and sleeping does not count you're still doing something you're sleeping but just being how often do you just be mm. like literally just stop and just go oh okay like, we're constantly doing and doing and doing and doing and wow stress of it all it makes you just want to sit for like three hours and just meditate <laughs> I'm like whoa I'm gonna just do that after this I'm just gonna sit just be quiet for a while but just be just be. I think it's the, that's the thing it's like doing to what end as well because yes being and stopping is also a privilege I guess people could argue oh well I've got this to do and that to do and that to do I hear you like yes we live busy lives but the essence of being is such an important one and we've just lost it we've just lost the idea that that's something magical so busy doing all these things you don't stop to notice like the shadow that that tree is creating on the floor with the sun behind it I'm just like wow it's fucking beautiful look at the state of that you're too busy doing you're not going to see these things mm. and they're great I won't turn the camera around I'll probably lose wi-fi connection but it looks beautiful and you think going to miss out on these things and get to whatever age and think oh fuck I wish I'd looked up more wish I'd looked at the clouds a bit or wish I'd danced to that song and just been a bit silly or I don't know just things that we just miss because we're so busy trying to run to the next thing we're so busy trying to touch our toes we miss the magic of the sensation in the forward fold we're so busy trying to stretch and get into a handstand that we miss the journey of falling over which is funny like it's yeah, this is the bit that it's the living bit. I think it's the it's the being and the living and the actual journey itself is what I'm trying to encourage. That's what the mindfulness is. It's the it's the actual bits. It's these bits. It's the cogs in between. Because the journey is death. The end journey is death. I mean, that's where we're all going, right? So it's like if you miss out on all these bits in between, what you're running to death? Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. What's to die? Like it blows my mind a little bit. I'm like, what about these bits in between? Like, we've got to start really think about implementing these little bits of magic because otherwise we're, you're off. Mm. It's done. And you didn't have any fun. Mm. And you didn't dance with the shadows on the floor or whatever it is. I don't know. It might be different for you, but it's like you just, you have to put these bits in though because they won't happen because society doesn't want them to happen. Like you said, you get thrown all this stuff have all this stuff and have all this stimulation and have this and this and this and do this and be this and be it. Blah, blah, blah. You have to go radical step. No, I'm going to stop. Mm. I'm stopping. Radical steps. I like that. Yeah. Not, not so radical. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. Whilst you were, whilst you're speaking, uh, something that one of my teachers said to me years ago, just dropped into my head. He asked the group a question of what is an extraordinary human life? And, you know, everyone was putting up their hands, you know, all, fulfilling all your dreams, like fulfilling your purpose, you know, all these things. And, yeah. you know, I was racking my brains like, you know, success, fulfillment, you know, mission. Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, an extraordinary life is an ordinary life lived with complete presence and awe. And I was like, whoa, completely right. Because like you said, like, if you notice the shadows of the trees, if you notice like 
everything that you feel, everything that you can see, everything that you can smell. Mm. A whole hour is extraordinary. Five minutes is extraordinary. But you're right. It's like we're missing all of these extraordinary moments by chasing our fictional idea of what the extraordinary looks like. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's hard because you're also trying to teach somebody essentially that feeling that I get in those extraordinary moments is only something that I will feel. I can't share that with you, right? That's my, that's my experience of it. It's my truth. It's my understanding of it. So I can't teach that to you necessarily, but I can encourage you to do the things that will help you notice those extraordinary moments. But again, we live in a society whereby people want instant transaction. They want to, they want the thing. I'm going to pay you the money. I want the thing. I'll pay you to teach me yoga. I want to feel exactly how you're feeling. And again, what's that idea of like patience, persistence, you know, like constantly committing to something, like committing to a ritualistic kind of practice whereby you don't know what the outcome is, but you're just going to commit to it because it's something that you know is going to be good for you. Mm. Contentment, all these things that we we practice in yoga, we just, we've lost, we've just lost them. Mm. Yeah. In, in... (laughs) <laughs> seem to have got further away from them yeah and I guess that you know that is that's another issue with this like quick fix culture that a lot of coaches mm. kind of indirect, Ooh, yeah, I mean, that's... indirectly market one. and a lot of and yeah. a lot of people expect but actually what we're talking about here is this you know mindful movement yoga whatever you're pra- whatever you're practicing it is the the life path because you're going into like deeper deeper levels of experience mm. so it's not just like a quick fix achieve this in yeah. x number of days but it's subtle you know yeah. over time builds upon itself yeah exactly that exactly that and the deeper you go the more magical it becomes mm. it's like you sort of peel back another kind of layer and you're like whoa you can't show anyone else that's your experience so it's like you have to keep peeling back the layers so I think that's for me it's like encouraging people to start that journey because once it started it actually becomes something that you kind of naturally want to do because it feels good it's like soul feels fulfilled my mind feels well my body feels well like it's something that you will want to continue to do so Mm. set people off on that little journey for somebody beginning the journey of mindful movement what Mm. would a mindful movement practice routine look like do you think and I know that's different for everybody but how could somebody Mm. start on this journey for themselves it does look different for everybody for sure um so I run I run online yoga uh online mindful movement sessions online practices because I started them in lockdown and it meant I could connect with my family when I couldn't be with them and it Mm. kind of ended up sticking and it meant that I can contact and reach people virtually um, who I might not be able to teach otherwise so that's why it came about but the reason virtually works so well in this essence is because you don't have to step into a studio and worry about what you're wearing how your weight is whether you washed your hair, whether you've got a spot on your chin, it doesn't matter because you're in your space. I can't even see you. It's on Instagram. So like you see me and nothing else. You're in your space. You can put on whatever music you like in the background. You can, you know, your kids can be running around. The dog can be there, but you can allow yourself the time to be in your space. And it, it, these sort of, you, you shed these layers of like angst that a lot of people get when they like even have to leave the house. It's a really beautiful way for me to just come straight to your space. And it also allows you, I think just you, you don't have on this like outdoor armor. I feel like people put on this like outdoor armor when they leave the house. It's like, I'm not ready to leave the house yet. So they put on these things. You don't need to do that. All that armor can kind of stay off and you're just kind of in more of a vulnerable you state. And in that state, you've got much quicker access. If you want a quick fix, you've got much quicker access to yourself to your true self capital s so allowing me into that space to guide you into different things to help you explore how that might look and feel 
is a good place to start. There are lot, there are lots of coaches out there. There's lots of people doing the same thing, and it's. I just think, I guess, I'd encourage you to first, you just give it a go because in that environment, you know, ten days to to just come to your space for half an hour, forty minutes a day. Just see, everyone can do ten days, right? It's not a lot. It's not a long time. Take note of how you feel at the beginning, and then take note again of what, how you feel, what you feel at the end, and just see. It's a it's a great place to start because you can go away and assess it. You don't have to sign up to a membership or a subscription or whatever it is. It's just a okay. I'll dip the toe in and I'll just have a little go and I'll see how it feels and just see. Because listen, I might not be the one for you. It might not be the right time. There might be this and there's so many different other avenues. But I guarantee, in the ten days, you'll learn something. You'll mm. feel something. You'll observe something that either you can take away and use or I can help you understand, digest, in order to help you move forward into something else, that would be a good place to start. And if you can't do that and you don't want to do that, just take some moments to stop. Like we said, just take a few, like set an alarm on your phone like twice a day and just stop and make a mental list of everything you notice and then carry on with the day. Stop doing that twice a day. The tiny little bits, like tiny little snippets of allowing yourself to be, and then again, see how they how they feel. Hmm. Awesome. Thanks, lovely. <laughs> Anything else that you want to share? Anything exciting that you have coming up? Got a yoga retreat coming up. It's not a yoga retreat, just it's a wellness week. But we do yoga and movement and hiking and swimming in Ibiza in October there's a couple of spaces left on that and if you can't make October there's two weeks in May next year you can come away with me um if you're in the London area I've got one-on-one coaching spaces available not very many but there's a few but the online platform is a good way to connect to start with I'd say that's a nice place to start perfect and everything will be in the show notes until then you'll just be having fun and good times at Glastonbury and all the adventures that you'll have this summer <laughs> always always having fun and good times and this week it'll be at Glastonbury yes <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for your time today lovely it's been great recording this with you thank you so much for having me I loved this episode and this message of mindful movement for mindful living for mindful being on Charlotte's website, misscharlotteholmes.com, you can find information for her various movement challenges and her online coaching. And on her Instagram, you can find her retreats and also a hell load of fun and good vibes to follow. I always love to hear your feedback. So feel free to hit me up on Instagram at higherlove underscore with Megan or via my website, higher-love.com. I'm always intrigued and inspired by your takeaways. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share, rate or send on to somebody else who would benefit from it. Big thanks to Charlotte for sharing her wisdom, her story and her vibes. We all have so much to learn from one another and I learned a lot sharing time, space and energy with this epic human. Until next time, enjoy the summer sunshine and big love.